0: This is the Uncommon Sense Podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Judith Hoare. Judith is an author and journalist, and we spoke about her new book, The Woman Who Cracked the Anxiety Code, The Extraordinary Life of Dr. Claire Weeks. Claire Weeks was an Australian GP who changed the field of psychology and psychiatry, as well as the lives of people suffering from anxiety, for the better. You are tuned in to three Triple R FM with Amy Mullins. The show is uncommon sense and it's great to be with you on this Tuesday morning as usual between nine 9- and A.M. and noon and uh, I'm really delighted that I have a special guest who's on the show today and her name is Judith Hoare and Judith um, has done a fantastic job of writing about a really fantastic figure of history that we really have forgotten um, and that is beyond disappointing to me, not that surprising, I've got to say, having worked in uh, history and women's history and women in leadership myself for a number of years, it seems to happen all too often. And it's great to see that Judith is correcting things and uh, making the broader community aware of the great work of Dr Claire Weeks because a number of people um, in the medical profession and in psychology and also those who have themselves um, dealt with issues around Anxiety and anxiety related conditions um, might be aware of Dr. Claire Weeks's work. Um, it is quite prominent nowadays, and um, certainly at the time, she fought against some huge. Barriers to being heard and respected by her colleagues. Um, But that is no longer the case, hopefully. And um, we're going to talk about Dr Weeks and the book that Judith has written, The Woman Who Cracked the Anxiety Code, The Extraordinary Life of Dr Claire Weeks. Um, And it's out now, essentially. You can get it in any bookstore, which is fantastic. And it's um, out through Scribe Publications. And I just wanted to play... A very very brief um, clip of Claire's voice because I think it um, is really illuminating and it gives you an idea of um, her warmth and compassion which certainly does shine through in this book but um, I think it's just really lovely to hear her voice um, yourself and no doubt you would be able to access um, these kind of recordings of Claire which really read out and and illuminate her books on anxiety. So we'll just play a little bit of this and um, we'll come back to chat with Judith. This is Dr Weeks speaking. I am very happy to have
1: this opportunity to talk to you personally. First, I want to say that however long you may have suffered from nervous illness, if you wish to recover, you can. The main difference between a person ill for many years and someone ill for a short time is that the one who has suffered for long has had much more time to collect disturbing memories, especially the memory of much defeat, so that he despairs so easily. But there is nothing physically altered within this person determining that because
0: he has been ill for so long, he cannot possibly recover now. Now, that's just a tiny little clip, but I wanted to give you an idea of what Claire sounded like and her passion, really, that shines through in her audio recordings. And I welcome now Judith Hoare, the author of the book we're going to be talking about. And thank you so much, Judith, for joining us today. Oh,
1: Thank you Amy, it's lovely to be here
0: It's a pleasure to have you on the show and really this is quite an achievement the book you've written um, and I've got to say I'm not surprised that you um, are a journalist in a past life because it reads so well, um, it's so engaging you don't even realise that you've you know, consumed 50 pages in a very short period of time so I appreciate the way that you've articulated her story as well
1: Oh, thank you, Amy. I'm really delighted to hear that. The whole project took me five years. Um, It was wonderfully, wonderfully absorbing, Um, a great sort of trawl through the 20th century and one fascinating individual's life. And, of course, being a journalist, as you said, when I sat down to write it, I tried to... I, I, Having never read written a book before, I'd written long-form journalism. I tried to imagine every chapter as what I would think of as a feature story. So they would sort of stand alone as little stories and then link to the
0: next one. That is a really fantastic idea. I think I might have to use that myself one day. <laughs> it certainly is. It's great because it, they, they are standalone, but they do, as you say, flow on really, really well. Um, and the introduction, I think, grounds the story and... Um, I guess, primes you to understand the significance of the following chapters and why her story as it unfolds is so interesting and also so important. Um, And what seems to be a bit of a common thread here is that um, Dr. Claire Weeks, who is the subject of your book, herself experienced um, what was At the time, called something like a nervous illness, um, a a nervous condition, which we now would term um, as anxiety and other related anxiety conditions like obsessive compulsive or um, phobias of a range of kinds. And certainly um, her own kind of insight, personal insight, seems to have been a very important catalyst for her work uh, because as you highlight, she started out as a trailblazing woman scientist at the University of Sydney in the field of zoology.
1: That's right and that was, she she was born in 1903 and she was getting her, she was the first woman to get a, a Doctorate of Science at Sydney University in the 1920s, I think it was 1929. So she was really, um, when she had what you would call, I mean you could loosely call it I don't think she called it a breakdown, but serious nervous illness. When she had that she would have been about 25 or so and all she'd had was sort of success at school, success at university, on a way to become, getting the first doctorate, already had in Britain uh, and, and America an international reputation for her evolutionary studies. So she she was really en route to great success in, as a scholar when she herself um, she herself experienced the really horrible um, um, phenomenon of when your nerves play up badly, and they played up really badly with her.
0: Indeed, and it wasn't an unprovoked condition, was it? It kind of was a system of events or a sequence of events yes. that happened
1: that's That's right, and that's really important to understand Amy, because to understand with her work is she had a phrase for this. she said, when people get nervous illness, she said they have been sensitized by something. This is a very key concept now she herself that that means you're ready for your body's receiving stress in an overly um aroused sort of way. everybody knows that feeling from after the end of a busy day, but for people when they get really um anxious or nervous you know it's really high levels of sensitization now in her case and she thinks it's true in a lot of people's case it often follows illness um i mean you only have to look at the experience of a woman who's had a child the fatigue that follows to see how sensitization can set up um and in her case she was wrongly diagnosed with tb she had um some very bad attack of tonsillitis or something. And in the end, they decided she had TB, TB. They popped her in a sanatorium, which was a horrible experience because she was sort of exiled from home, put in quarantine, isolated from people, and you were surrounded by death and dying, which could possibly be you in a short period of time. So that was, of course, added to her stress. She was told not to move, not to do anything at all. She got very run down. She was very frightened and her heart started to race. Her heart had been racing for a while. And when finally they discharged her after six months and said, look, you know, you haven't had TB at all. You've been wrongly diagnosed. She was by then terrified of herself, of her symptoms and in a high state of arousal and stress. And that's what started her on this. That was the initial Um, impetus for the work that was to take place over 50 years later.
0: Indeed And, um, and interestingly she also had some quite formative experiences with the medical profession herself which set her on a path of empathy and as you highlight a way to not practice medicine.
1: That's right, because when she was discharged, she, was, um, she went to stay with a friend to recuperate, still with her heart racing, still bewildered by these, this fear that had overtaken her, fear of her own body and herself and why she was feeling so utterly terrible and stressed. And she thought maybe the friend's husband, who was a doctor, might help her. And when she woke in the middle of the night with her heart beating and she thought she was going to take a last breath and she was dying and she called out to her friend and her friend's husband wouldn't come to see her and said I'm not going to go and see her she'll think she's worse than she is and he was actually right she wasn't dying of a heart problem or there was nothing like that it was just fear that was driving her heart but because he didn't explain this was left unexplained she had two more years of suffering where she 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 went back to university she finished her doctorate with a heart beating with this terrible feelings of anxiety she couldn't control and uh, she got on a boat to england and she arrived in england just a complete nervous wreck
0: Mm. and can you tell us that really important moment that she cites um, which changed her perspective and flicked a switch in her and the kind of insight that she gleaned from um, this man who really, um, as soon as she mentioned her symptoms, identified what the problem was almost immediately.
1: He did. And this is what's so fascinating and what's fascinating about context and the 20th century with anxiety because you know anxiety is not a new modern phenomenon you imagine the anxiety of being in the trenches in world war one well that was where this man when she arrived in london she was working in the top floor of the university college london on the next stage of her research into reproductive evolution in lizards and up the stairs came rushing to see her a man a scientist friend of hers who was an Australian as well who was at the time living in England he rushed up to see her she hadn't long arrived in London was a nervous wreck and she said to he said um how are you and she said I'm just terrible I can't go on and he said well what's wrong with you and she said I just I'm just I have this racing heart, I'm consumed with these feelings I can't explain, I just feel so dreadful. And he looked at her and he said, oh, well, he said, that's nothing. He said, "That's we all got that in the trenches. And she said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, bear in mind, this is a man who'd been decorated for bravery twice and um, in the dreadful, fierce battles of the Somme. And he said, um, well... In battle, your heart starts to race. That's the way, you know, of course it does. But he said when the battle was over, soldiers would find their hearts continued to race and they were still consumed by fear. And he said, um, so you just learned to, that was just a trick of the nerves, and you just got on with it and forgot about it. Um, And she said, oh, you mean, at that point, she said, oh, so I've been frightening myself. And he said, exactly, and laughed and uh so she, that she said that was the blinding insight that that she was making her own symptoms worse by being frightened of them and she said well if that's what's happening i will go to sleep every night with my heart palpitating if necessary and I'll just just accept it and she said the symptoms cleared up in after 2 years of a racing heart and terrible invasion invading feelings of anxiety she said she was almost immediately fixed by this simple explanation.
0: Indeed, and um, it's important to point out that she had seen one of the top cardiologists to rule out a kind of underlying clear biological cause that could be discovered through the testing that was available at the time. So, um, you know, there are certainly a number of people who may actually have heart conditions that are sometimes, even today, particularly with women, um, put down to anxiety so it also can um, sometimes be interpreted in the wrong way in the other direction too.
1: That's actually really a very important point, Amy, and I'm terribly glad you mentioned that because, Mm. um, um, for example, and, and Claire Weeks finally training as a medical doctor herself would be the first to say, go to your doctor and rule out any underlying conditions. Absolutely. And, of course, one of the really... treacherous organs in the body is the thyroid which can mimic nervous disorders and it can cause your heart to race if you're hyper so it absolutely is critical but once you've cleared once you've been cleared of that um uh, of of some underlying condition it's then important i think to understand how powerful the mind-body connection is and i i feel sure lots of listeners can think of all sorts of bits of their body that can respond um, very swiftly to, it can be the stomach to stressful events or whatever, or the skin. So we all know that mind body connection.
0: Indeed. Um, It's really, you can't separate the body from the brain. They are uh, quite literally interconnected through neural networks. So um, as you say, it it is is all interrelated. And that's why meditation has become such a um, big thing in the modern era and um, becoming more and more popular. Um, I'd like to just touch on some of the Thinking at, at the time um, and also the approaches that were taken when Dr Weeks was experiencing these symptoms herself um, and also then writing books about her experience and her recommendations once she um, became a medical practitioner herself, um, it seemed as if there was a very, very backwards way of approaching mental health and that there were, in very extreme circumstances, people who were receiving shock therapy and were even encouraged to undertake brain surgery to rectify some of the experiences they were feeling. Um, And this was often because um, it it appears that psychiatrists felt quite impotent in terms of the, um, I guess, talk therapy options that they had open to them and were still quite guided by the very... um, Misguided in many ways, uh, approach of Sigmund Freud, whose um, approach and language around the ego, the id, transference, penis envy um, was highly problematic, the Oedipus complex, um, and perhaps in, in a number of ways has since been discredited.
1: Well, and I'm sort of unprovable, to mm. you know, that was, the, that was the extraordinary thing when you think of how dominant that thinking became underpinning psychoanalysis in the 20th century. Yes, well, this was what was so much fun about the book when you started to sit down and think, well, where did her wonderful ideas of acceptance, of accepting your symptoms, which was at the heart of her treatment, was don't fight, accept. And that's what allows the body to downregulate itself instead of just continuing to feed the fear cycle. Um, so where did she get that insight from? And when you go back in history, you find... In the 19th century, even Darwin wrote a book called On the Expression of Emotion in Humans and Animals, and there was a number of other scholars, William Cannon from the US, who saw this mind-body connection very clearly um, in the 19th century. Somehow, in the 20th century, um, with the... Well, not somehow, certainly with the help of Freud, that biological, that mind-body approach got derailed by just looking into the mind itself as if it was some sort of separate thing even though Freud really clearly understood somatism or the way in which distress was expressed in the body he he got terribly interested in the dark unconscious um, life of people and of his own dark unconscious life but he he took psychiatry particularly Americans were influenced by it Um, down this course which was sort of the mind and dredging into the mind and looking for all of these reasons that dated back to childhood had a lot of sexual content. Now she just took a much more simple approach which was was more an inheritor of the 19th century mind body tradition and I think Amy it's important to understand that being trained as a scientist and a doctor she took that very practical approach to the mind and the body. She wasn't trained as a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So she didn't um, benefit or, or, or the opposite from that sort of training. So I think when she sort of wrote her first book at the age of 57, um, 59, 59, which was published in 1962, they were very... Um, thoughtful scholarly but simply written books for the general public about the mind-body connection that was so fresh for people because and so simple to understand the way in which the body became and mind became engaged in this terrible dissonant symphony of nervous illness and the simple way she tried to suggest people could steady themselves and settle down if you like and that was so different to this lying on a couch for week in, week out, paying lots of money and then possibly really only adding, as she would say, she'd find people whose little burden of guilt had been exacerbated and increased by by psychoanalysis. So it had obviously not been working perfectly, that approach.
0: Yes, indeed, and she really did make her work and um, her thoughts highly accessible to the general public and obviously you can't duplicate Dr Claire Weeks um, quite literally but you can uh, create books and audio and give talks and um, even as she did offer herself over the phone to people who lived in other countries um, to further... I guess, promote this idea, this very pragmatic approach that she used on herself and and knew worked for her. Um, what really drove her as a medical doctor and a scientist to utilise um, these popular forms of communication, including the media as well as uh, publications, instead of writing a a journal article or trying to influence her uh, medical colleagues or psychiatric um, doctors and professionals, uh, which, you know, didn't really seem to be all that receptive, at least in the, in the, the psychology and psychiatric fields?
1: Look, that's a really good question, and she makes the point herself. Um, that she could have gone to it. She was a scholar. She'd published lots of scholarly papers. She had a doctorate in science. Um, she'd won a Rockefeller scholarship. She'd then got her medical degree and she could have directed it to a, a, a serious professional community. But when she became a doctor at later in life, in midlife, and she graduated in 1945 and she became a general practitioner and then a specialist, she said the need was so great. She just discovered this ocean of need in the community for people to explain their bewildering, terrible symptoms. The symptoms of high anxiety are really distressing and she said the ocean of need was so great she she felt she had to go direct to the people. But also um, I think too it's important to point out that it was when she was treating people in her surgery that one of them said Dr Weeks I feel it's really when I'm with you and you're talking to me, I really feel better and I understand what you're saying. It's very clear. But when I go away, I find it hard to hold on to those ideas. Could you please write it down for me? So she started to make little recordings of her consultations with patients that they found incredibly helpful. And it's, uh, you know, in all of the time I've been trying to contemplate what was it that made her so effective. There, are, I've dis- discovered there's lots of different things that are all boiled into this wonderful mix, but one of the things that made her so successful was that you could return to those books or those tapes You know, when you were distressed again or if you forgot and you couldn't hold on to the ideas that she's talking about or her really clear explanations of the really simple things that lie behind high anxiety that are not darkened, that everyone gets so worried about and thinks of such dark places that Freud almost encouraged that view She said, look, this is just, you know, your body, this is just stress, these terrifying thoughts you have. If people have phobias, for example, which she didn't have, but if you do, they're they're just thoughts. They're the thoughts of a tired mind. So all of those explanations of how these things happen, why they happened, how you felt and how to deal with them, you could go back and refer to that when you had your little tape recording and later that's why she realised that was so effective that perhaps books would be even better and then there was the challenge was how do you Claire Weeks on a tape recording or in the surgery is very convincing she's got the authority of a doctor behind her she's got her own personal you know charisma whatever that is and marvelous connection with you as an individual it's possibly very helpful therapeutically and very therapeutic yes can you do that in a book and she could
0: yeah, it is a very conversational book. I, um, I actually accessed it online to see what her writing style was like and it, it is like she's directly speaking with you in a very um, empathetic and yet authoritative way um, and it seems like she's also trying to encourage people to not lose hope and to realise that there is most certainly um, a practical simple but not easy way of approaching some of the issues they might be facing in their lives and that they're, you know, they're not, um, I guess, disordered for having those problems. Like she was saying, it's quite um, a common thing for people to experience.
1: Well, look, I think it is hugely common and as you know, we know everyone's felt a little bit of stress in their life, even the most relaxed person, but, you know, it can get really out of hand for a surprisingly large number of people can suffer from high anxiety. And yes, it. she had this wonderful way of talking directly to you. She wrote in the first person, you know, I am sitting. You, I am sitting beside you as if, you know, you'll be reading me as if I'm sitting beside you. And she spoke directly to the person that picked it up. And also, I think, Amy, that people... Because she'd seen so many patients, she'd seen every trick of the nerves, as she would say. She could tell them how disordered their thoughts felt or how their body was misbehaving or what they feared might happen now. She understood every trick. She'd seen it in the surgery. She made a lifetime specialty of helping people because she was so passionate that she had not been helped with by mm. doctors, that she was going to make a difference. So I think that... A number of factors meant those books were effective. Firstly, she talked directly to people. Secondly, she could they could see she knew what they were going through. They, they went, but nobody understands, but you do. So that gave her huge credibility. And then she offered something that doesn't happen to people when they walk into a psychar- psychiatrist or probably even a psychologist. She offered hope. She said, that's okay, you can be cured. Now, this could sound like snake oil or, you know, some sort of cultish thing but actually it came from a very deep experience and belief in her simple approach to the mind-body connection and how you could reorder that yourself. Now as you quite rightly pointed out it's simple for some people actually but it's not simple for everybody. Sometimes it's not easy at all and it takes practice thus the utility of those little books people can practice and go back but she offered these things that weren't available elsewhere hope being built on this enormously credible scholarship.
0: Indeed. And she wrote um, her first book, Self-Help for Your Nerves, in 1962. And, um, you know, that she had a number of books since then and there were various iterations of that title in different countries. But it seems like she did get a, a very big following um, and that people did sit, kind of develop a personal connection with Claire, and um, and even today, when I was kind of searching on forums to look at what kind of things people have written about her work, there are a number of people who say that to this day um, they've only just stumbled across her work. That um, her book has completely changed their lives, and it seems like there's almost a cult following around Dr. Claire Weeks that many people may not be aware of, and certainly not. Australian society,
1: yes, Amy, and and you know you, you've clearly got quite a good understanding of her and her work, and the, I, I think there is this huge following. I think you know the thing I'm cautious about is it cult is a sort of funny word. She was a scientist, so she would probably feel uncomfortable with that. But I know what you mean. It's really, mm. I think, because it's she offers people something really practical and based on the science and based on 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 something that that can be easily understood and grasped. And it's really quite simple and it takes away all the, as I say, the darkness. But it is remarkable how many people to this day, when they find her, she still helps people. And uh, I've had this lovely experience of having... Written um, my book in the same, um, literally at the same time as um, the wonderful musician Claire Bowditch has written her memoirs, and we've had an interchange because my book was published about Claire Weeks, and um, Claire's book has just been published. And guess who she's dedicated her book to?
0: (laughs) No way.
1: Claire yeah, Weeks. Dr. Claire Weeks. Wow. The grand legacy. So, you know, and when I got in touch with, we got in touch with each other. Mm. And uh, she calls it The Weeks and she said she saved my life, you know. Now, that's a very contemporary example of the, And this sort of thing, of course, Dr. Weeks herself got used to traveling the world and having people just individuals, and their families just saying thank you. You saved my life, my sister's life, my husband's life. Because um, it certainly wasn't all women. Um, my, I'm a pilot. You got me back in the air. I mean, she became almost. She became so used to that experience, and what she missed out on, of course, was the um, professional regard. But she, this extraordinary, long, wonderful global footprint, remains to this day, but it's invisible but connected with all of these people you're reading about online and little examples like Claire Bowditch that I tripped across just as
0: I'm writing the book. That is just fascinating and so surprising to hear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm speaking with Judith Hoare, who's the author of the book, The Woman Who Cracked the Anxiety Code, The Extraordinary Life of Dr. Claire Weeks. Yeah, I was interested that your introduction is actually titled The Uncommon Sense of Claire Weeks. So we also have some overlap because this show is called Uncommon Sense. (laughs) Maybe that's why I relate to her approach so well. Um, That's right. Yeah. But I'm also interested in the people who actually did at the time pick up on her work and recognise the value of it and then utilise it in their own practices and then even how her, um, I guess, methodology and approach is used today and how it might have evolved over time. Could you share with us um, how what her impact and influence has been?
1: Yes, well, I think she was picked up. To begin with, in America, there was a a phobia, an anxiety and phobia clinic in New York, in White Plains, and Dr. Manuel Zane, who ran that, was the first phobia and anxiety clinic set up attached to a hospital in the US in the early 70s. And he... Noticed all his patients were grasping her book and saying how much it had helped them. Very, very troubled people who'd had serious agoraphobia suddenly were getting better after reading her book. So he was the first doctor in America to see she had something special. And he tried to introduce his colleagues to her. But, you know, she was... In a way, she didn't take prisoners herself. She she knew she worked. She'd seen how she worked, and she'd seen how they didn't work. So when she addressed them, I think she basically didn't pay any attention or respect possibly to their approach. She was standing up there saying, this is how I do it and this is what works. And so a lot of the professionals who were immersed in psychoanalytic, Freudian approaches just rejected her. But Dr. Zane didn't and a number of other really disillusioned psychiatrists who'd been struggling to... To get their patients better over years and who were professional enough to see that what they had learned at university and what they were practicing in their surgeries wasn't working and a number of them in america changed their approach and picked up on hers now not all of them by any means there wasn't a professional takeover but some did and in the and in england her work started to become recognized there professionally but you know because she wasn't a trained psychiatrist or a psychologist, she's ended up a footnote in history. But if you tap into some of the thinkers today, like Dr. David Barlow, who's you know regarded as the preeminent expert on anxiety in America, he's in his 80s now, but he will say she changed the lives of tens of millions of people for the better with her very astute ideas that really what is happening to people, the problem is not outside them. It's not that phobia or... The, the, the thing they're worried about. The problem is inside them. It's the fear of the fear. And that that brilliant insight that it's what's inside you, that you're frightened of yourself, that you're frightening yourself, that it's not fear of the agra, the out the marketplace that keeps a person inside, it's fear of those feelings. So she was the first to identify that, but she's really been footnoted in history. And yet today, acceptance. Theories and the whole idea of getting back to the body, even getting back to diet, exercise, all those things represent a recognition that the body and the mind are intimately interconnected Um, and that was something she understood years and years ago.
0: Yes, it seems to me almost that her background as a scientist who approached things from a very observational and analytical perspective really gave her the edge over a number of other um, people who, although they are trained in science, doctors are, it seems like um, her, her looking at other species and animals might have given her more of a, um, I guess different perspective on science and behavior and the way the body and mind works.
1: I think that's really true, Amy. And she started off looking at lizards and she was studying evolution under the ideas of Darwin in the 20s. And of course, every living creature has fight or flight. So the first thing she understood was that we all have this innate alarm that some people rather Probably wrongly call fear, but it's the feeling you get if a tiger runs at you, or a brick falls from the sky. You you don't control that feeling. She you 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 don't control your reaction to that. At least you 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 immediately run from a tiger or. or, 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 or you fight if fighting is the suitable response to survival, I suppose, in warfare or whatever. She understood that, but then she then over the years, as you say, that observation of lizards, which she did, she cut them up, she dissected them, she studied placental evolution. She brought that really attentive, observational, scientific approach to people in her. Um, in her surgery and she noticed the way and she'd seen it in herself how she responded to fear and she noticed the different ways in which fear could present and the way in which people would then become sensitised by sickness or a worry, terrible worry they'd had, maybe a guilt or a disgrace or a problem or a break-up, whatever. They'd become sensitised and then their body would start misbehaving. They'd get these bodily symptoms and then, then they'd become frightened of the feeling of fear, of the sudden surge of fear that they would get quite inappropriately from stress. So that terrible automatic first fear that you get when you see a tiger, suddenly oversensitized people would get that in a, I don't know, a supermarket cure or something. They'd get this surge of adrenaline, this horrible surge of panic, and they think, why did I get that? And they probably got it because they'd been very stressed and, and very run down from something or another. And then they'd think, oh no, what happens if that happens again, that horrible feeling? And that's the beginning of the panic cycle. They start to get frightened of their own feelings and unable to sit with their own feelings. Um, and she pointed out that they can't get any worse. But you understand you've got limited, your adrenaline creating nerves are limited. She had all sorts of really good explanations for how you could limit the feeling. But All of this, as you rightly say, was based on observing people really closely, how they reacted and broadening her own personal understanding of stress with the backup of medical science and the backup of science and the backup of keen observation. And I think when we talk about psychoanalysis and psychiatry being scientific, I sometimes wonder indeed how scientific it in fact was. (laughs)
0: I couldn't agree more and um, I really do think that's an excellent place to finish to be honest, Um, it's a great point and I really do appreciate the fact that you have taken her out of her footnote status and created an entire book dedicated to her and I can't all but hope that this will create more interest in her work and also to reflect on the woman herself and her beautiful and fantastic um, intelligence and passion and qualities that make her a real trailblazer in medicine, in science, um, in Australia and the world. And um, it's great to, uh, to see and get to know this wonderful figure from history. So thank you so much, Judith, for giving us your time and um, sharing your passion as well on this subject and um, the person, Dr. Claire Weeks. And thank you,
1: Amy, for taking the keen trouble you clearly have to understand her. So I also really appreciate that and thank you for having me.
0: Oh, thank you, Judith. It is a real pleasure. So I really um, hope that people can pick up this book. It's called The Woman Who Cracked the Anxiety Code, The Extraordinary Life of Dr. Claire Weeks and it's written by Judith Hoare, who I've just been speaking with. Thank you, Judith. If this conversation has brought up any questions, issues or concerns for you, feel free to contact your medical practitioner or call Lifeline on 13 11 14. I'm Amy Mullins and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. Uncommon Sense is a radio show broadcast on 3RRR FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm.